Hi everyone and welcome to the Business Takeaway, a video cast series where we interview professionals in the advertising, marketing and public relations industry. I am your host, Milagros Alcoshen. With me today, I have Kate Snyder, who is the CEO and founder of Piper and Gold Public Relations. It's great to be talking with you, Kate. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the chance to be here. Of course, it's a pleasure. I'd like to start off by asking you what got you interested in this field? Well, um, I've been in the field for a while now. <laughs> um, and public relations definitely was not as prominent of a career field when I first uh, entered it. Um, there weren't there weren't like public relations degrees. Um, it really wasn't seen as a specific field of study. More, uh, it was a lot more prevalent that people would study journalism or they would transition directly from journalism into PR careers. And I actually um, had, I always had an interest in writing. I'd always really enjoyed um, performing and events and public speaking and all of those kind of things. And so when I was in college, I was a history major because um, it was it was the 90s and back then you just kind of picked a degree and you like if you got a if you got a degree you would get a job somewhere doing something <laughs> and so I went into my academic advisor and I said you know like what do I do I'm I'm gonna graduate and I kind of don't know like what to do um, and she's like well, what do you want to do I said well. I, I love to plan parties at the Met. <laughs> she was like, well, that's public relations, um, which is really not super accurate. That's not really public relations. <laughs> Fund development, um, event management, but whatever. Um, and so that's what kind of pointed me in the direction of trying to figure out what is public relations. Um, and I ended up getting an internship at an agency and that was really where I started learning, you know, there weren't PR classes I could take that wasn't a thing. And so that's, you know, I learned pretty much everything I learned on the job and, you know, learned through my internship and then in my subsequent positions after that, what the industry was and what it actually was and the areas of it that I really enjoyed, which did tie a lot to those, you know, public speaking, um, <laughs> you know, coordinating things, writing, and really just strategy and thinking through like how to build relationships. Yes, that's really interesting. And what was your education? Like where you went to college, your bachelor's? Yeah, so I did my undergraduate at Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan, and um, then later I did a, a professional program for my master's degree, which was a really cool experience. Again, like that was a long time ago, 2005, I think, and so there weren't, um, there weren't a whole ton of, um, like, there weren't a whole ton of these like professional degree programs. There was like professional MBA programs and that was kind of it. And this one was in integrated marketing communications. And so I did that while I was working full-time at East. Uh, I 
took the program through Eastern Michigan University. And it was a, it was my first chance to have really formal education in communications disciplines and in, you know, marketing public relations. So um, that was a really like super valuable experience for me. Um, and because it was a professional program, I got to really connect with a lot of my peers um, and, and others. You had to have five years of experience or more to, to get into the program. So I really got a great chance to like meet others that worked in the field that I worked in and that like got it. Mm-hmm. That's great. And what have your recent job experiences been? Yeah, so uh, the last 10 years, um, I've run Piper and Gold Public Relations. It's a company that I'm the CEO and founder of. Um, so a little different of a, of a quote unquote job experience. <laughs> um, but prior to that, I worked at a small advertising agency as a vice president. That was kind of my first foray into um, the private sector uh, because I had spent almost a decade before that working in the public sector. And that's really where my heart lies. Um, I'm a public servant at heart and that's what we specialize in at at Piper and Gold is government association, nonprofit um, and corporate philanthropy work. So really that like organizations working towards social change um, and making a social impact through their communications. And so spent almost a decade before that working um, in government. And then uh, my very first job stemmed from my first internship um, at a small agency. And um, that agency did a lot of government and nonprofit work. So it's really where I kind of learned that passion for like jobs I didn't even know were a thing, um, working with government and nonprofit. And that's really what led me into that decade of service. Mm-hmm. And since starting a company that specializes in it. I love that. And well, can you tell me a little bit more about your company and what motivated you to start it? So when I started, it really was about need. I I kind of perceived myself at the time as an accidental entrepreneur. It wasn't necessarily my goal to start a company, um, but it was a hard time economically. I worked for a small business and I ended up getting laid off after just a couple of months of being there. And so I really wanted to be super intentional about what I did next in my career. And in my head, that was going back to government or going into academia or something like that. And I was, I had a pretty picky list of what I wanted um, because I had loved where I'd been before. And the reason I left to go into the private sector was because I perceived the private sector as more steady, more stable. Um, But I really realized once I got into it very quickly that I I missed that social impact component. I missed working in service for people and providing services. Um, And so I was like, forget it. I'm going back to government. That's I need or academia where I can do something similar. No. Um, and, but I knew that was going to take a while. Like if I was going to be super picky, it was going to take a while. And so I started doing some consulting work, 
um, just, you know, as I met with my like references and my network to try to kind of get out there and say, if you hear of jobs, let me know. Um, people will be like, well, uh, I'll let you know if I hear something, but also could you help me with this thing? And I was like, could you pay me to help you with that thing? They're like, of course. I was like, well then yes, yes I can. Um, so I uh, started doing the consulting work and after about six months, I wound up with an opportunity where like I had to make a decision. I couldn't juggle it on top of a full-time job. I needed to either commit that I was gonna keep doing this consulting work or I was gonna say no to that contract. And I really thought about it, talked about it with my partner and ultimately was like, you know what, I'm gonna do this. Like, I'm gonna do it. Um, and then about six months after that, I've been doing consulting for about a year and I had a lot better understanding of what I wanted out of it. And while I enjoyed the consulting work, like I was lonely after having been a part of a really close-knit work family in my government job that I was at for almost a decade, like super close-knit work family. And I really missed that. Like I missed it a lot. I was in a co-working space, so I did have other people around me, but it just wasn't the same. Um, and was continuing to get opportunities. So again, I faced myself at this decision point of, do I continue to consult and start, you know, kind of saying no to certain opportunities and weeding out opportunities, or do I decide to grow a company instead of a consultancy? And ultimately that, that desire to be able to click collectively do more and have that group of people that are all like working together um, was what drove the decision for me to make it a company and not just me. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. And uh, who are your biggest competitors and how do you differentiate yourself from them? Well, the communication space is super congested. <laughs> it is a space where, especially nowadays, um, we can be competing with organizations all over the country, um, or we can be competing with organizations who we partner with on on other clients. So it's this really interesting, um, it's this really interesting kind of scenario where you're just as likely to be working together on a project with one of your competitors as you are to turn around the next day and be the final two in the running for a contract. Um, and especially in government where it's competitive bid processes so often, um, you know, they don't necessarily just have the freedom to like just hire somebody. Um, they have to go through a very, you know, rigid federal procurement mm -hmm. process to ensure taxpayer dollars are being spent responsibly and without bias. Um, like you do find yourselves uh, often 
like in competition with your partners. So it's, it's a really weird situation. Um, and nowadays, especially since COVID, but it was a trend that was starting before that. A lot of agencies are all virtual. Um, they don't have a physical space. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they, so, you know, their employees are spread out across the country. And as we got used to working in the virtual space during COVID, we found ourselves doing that as well. You know, if an employee wanted to move, that was no longer a deal breaker for them working for us, right? Like they didn't have to leave their job just because they wanted mm -hmm. to move. Um, and then as we started during COVID, we um, filled a couple of positions and we opened our search up nationally and we were able to, the best candidates for the jobs were in, in other states. So from that differentiation aspect, a lot of PR agencies, we provide very similar services. Um, a lot of us are hybrid now. So like, that's not unique. Um, the biggest thing that we focus on from a differentiation standpoint um, is really something that a lot of entities say that they also do, um, which is work that makes a positive social impact. For us, work that is contributing to a more just, equitable society is really important. Um, and it's also really trendy. And I recognize that as like a white woman raised in, you know, raised in the cornfields of Illinois, um, that it can be challenging for me to speak with authority uh, and authenticity as it relates to, to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so when we think about making a positive social impact and really creating more just equitable society through communications for us, that understanding the importance of foundational knowledge is one of our greatest competitive differentiators. Understanding that while every single person will bring their lived experiences into DEI work, and every single one of us, yes, I'm a female business owner that places me into a different, uh, a minority category in entrepreneurship. I have a disability, but no one would see that, right? Like, so we make assumptions about people. And yet we do so without full knowledge. And so, yes, I bring my, my experiences as a person with a hidden disability and being a female entrepreneur into the DEI world, but that's not enough to make solid foundational recommendations that will allow communications to contribute to structural change. Um, and to really be systemic in how we're leveraging communications to shape attitudes and opinions, to shape policy, to shape how our client organizations themselves become more inclusive. Because how they interact with the world around them, how they interact with their employees, that's communications. And communications can play a huge role and be immensely powerful 
in helping an organization to be more equitable and more inclusive. And so lived experiences are really, really important and they help us relate to people as it, as it relates to storytelling and empathy. But you have to pair it with foundational DEI knowledge. It's not enough to have your lived experiences be your DEI knowledge. You need to study it as a field, as a craft. And then for us, recognize like we're not a DEI firm. That's not what we do. We're not going to come in and assess your HR practices or communications. So we really get to kind of chart new territory as a team because we haven't found a lot of others that are doing this. There are a handful um, that are doing this throughout the country of really merging equitable, inclusive communications um, and taking that DE&I world and that communications world and putting them together. Like, what do we need to be aware of as communicators? How can we affect change? And that goes back to everything from like models of communication developed based on the civil rights movement. Um, I took an amazing course through Northwestern University where um, the, the man who developed this phenomenal model called the Creed model, uh, Dr. Tillman, he, you know, like I got to be in a class with him where he was teaching us this foundational model based on the civil rights movement and how you change people's minds, attitudes, and opinions. That's not something that I could bring through lived experience. It's foundational. There is, there is a field of DEI. And to do this work, we have to commit to studying it, to be certified, to ensure that we have that foundational knowledge as a team. Every single one of us, yes, we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion communication strategist. That is his specific role is DEI comms, but every single person on our team has to foundationally understand this, or we can't all contribute to equitable, inclusive communication solutions and recommendations. That's awesome. I loved your answer. Um, <laughs> could you give an example of a successful PR campaign or client work you designed and why you think it's successful and if there is anything you do to change it looking back at it now? Yeah, I mean, um, I think so. <laughs> Everyone is fueled by different types of communications. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions in the communications industry is people don't understand how many different like kind of subsets of the industry there are. There are so many different little pockets within communications and so many different routes you can go. So one of like our team, one of our team's like universally favorite projects every year is uh, called Lend a Hand. <laughs> it's a project we work on in partnership with the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Michigan. And it's basically the entire month of November leading up to Giving Tuesday and the holidays. And we get the opportunity to tell the stories of the families that have stayed at the Ronald McDonald house. Um, and a few years ago, 
we worked with the team and decided like, yes, telling the family stories are fun. Um, but like, let's do more. Let like, why do we have to tell them in the traditional, like, here's the family, they stayed here. Here's a lovely family photo in front of their fireplace, their dog. Yay. So, um, the first of kind of the new versions of lend a hand was superhero themed. And so the children that were featured got to um, dress up as superheroes. We helped them to create their superhero personas. So I got to interview each of the children that was being featured and um, like ask them about the stuff that they like. And they just had the coolest, like they, it was so cool. Um, like one of them was a toddler. So we like, she's only like 18 months. So we talked to her parents. Of course she became night owl because she stays up all night. Um, and then there was another young woman who's just amazing. She loves archery. Um, she loves all things like anime culture, um, and all sorts of stuff. So like finding, you know, figuring out what her secret identity was, was just an absolute blast. We, it was so fun. Um, but people really connected to it and really loved seeing the kids get to express themselves and who they are and how they, um, just like letting kids be kids and not being afraid to be a little quirky, a little different, a little creative. Um, and that was one of the most financially successful fundraising campaigns that the organization has ever had. Um, but it also is kind of the direct result of looking back at campaigns and deciding to really consciously make a change. Because right before that or right around then, we looked back at how we were telling stories for that organization. We've worked together for a really long time and their amazing executive director um, is like very, like she just wants to always do better, do learn, change, evolve, grow. Um, and so I don't even know how we came to the realization, but we realized when we were telling stories for this organization, the majority of the families that stay with them are because they have a child in the neonatal, neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU. And it's because the healthcare system that they're right next to, literally 400 steps away from the NICU, um, is the regional hub. So if, if babies are born at any of the smaller hospitals, like within about an hour, they're often brought there. Um, if they have neonatal intensive care needs. So when we're telling these NICU stories, they almost always start from like the day the parent goes into labor. And they almost always would start with like, I was 24 weeks pregnant and my water broke. And this place of like fear and alarm and somehow we realized, okay, we know that everything turns out okay. If it didn't, we wouldn't be telling you this story. But the readers, the audience, like 
they didn't know. They didn't have any reassurance right from the get-go. We sucked them in with the like, oh, that's terrible. And then took them on the journey. And yeah, everything wound up okay. But we realized like we were essentially creating trauma. We're potentially even re-traumatizing people when they read these stories or when they you know, heard these stories. And so instead we, we asked ourselves, how do we tell these stories from a position of strength? How do we focus on a position of strength, not a position of fear or desperation? And that's where it came to like, who are the kids now? Almost all of those children that whose stories we told ranging from 18 months to, um, you know, 14 years old were NICU babies. And so by starting with who they are now and how awesome they are and how great they're doing, we were able to start from that position of strength, tell everybody they're okay, it's cool, they're fine. <laughs> um, but then help them see like there was a time when their parents didn't know that that mm-hmm. was going to be the case. And so you know, we made really dramatic changes and have continued to tell stories in that, like, from a place of strength, secure the, like, make sure the audience feels secure and knows it's going to be okay. So as not to re-traumatize them before going into the journey they went to. So, you know, kind of a, what would you change that we did change? We, you know, like that was the direct result of dialogue and conversation and just really thinking critically about how we could continue to improve things and um, tell stories in a way that was more sensitive to people who had lost children, been through NICU experiences, been through the hospitalization of a child um, to allow them to also connect and feel safe and secure and to celebrate who these awesome kids are today. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And what current issues or trends in the field should people know about or be aware of? Well, I think that like very, um, that very diverse uh, breadth of communications positions is something that a lot of students and a lot of people in, uh, outside of the industry don't really understand. And I think it's something that's really important to understand that there's very different types of public relations. And like, we don't all have the same skills. We don't all use the same skills. We, there really are specialty areas and there are areas of PR that some people absolutely love and it's a great fit for them. And then there are areas of PR that, that are not a great fit for people. And a lot of people kind of leave the industry <laughs> Um, because they think the experience they've had thus far is like the only version. But I also think that that contributes to another big issue in the industry, which is, um, it's, it's something that is so complex and nuanced, um, but it really is like, it's about burnout. It's about a lack of boundaries. And um, Shauna Knuckles, 
is an amazing leader in the public relations industry. And she owns a company called Advocation. And she speaks out a lot on the importance of like boundaries, gender equity and PR, um, and really how so many of the expectations that we set for PR professionals are either self-imposed or very exploitative and manipulative um, and very rooted in gender and traditional gender roles. And it's a problem. It's a problem. Um, even in an environment where we are heavy, heavily female, that self-imposed patriarchal expectation can wreak havoc. And the more and more as we, you know, really work to understand diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's also a massive component that all industries are facing of white supremacy in the workplace. And that formal study of white supremacy in the workplace and how it drives a lot of our behaviors and habits and mannerisms in the workplace. A lot of perfectionism, a lot of urgency, a lot of uh, hierarchy and, and patriarchal structures of power. And, you know, like <laughs> when someone says like, oh, that's, oh, what you're talking about, like being really stressed about is white supremacy in the workplace. Like, you know, people kind of freak out if you call them a white supremacist. And that's not what white supremacy in the workplace is. I'm by no means an expert on it. I myself am really honored to be learning about it, um, you know, from our own awesome team members and from, you know, external sources and education. But understanding that you're affected by white supremacy. <laughs> Being affected by white supremacy doesn't mean you're a white supremacist. Um, and that it has a negative and harmful effect on many different people. And we really have to understand it. Again, it comes back to that foundational knowledge. We have to understand the foundations of these things to be able to recognize it, talk about it, and make the changes that will help to mitigate it. It's naive to think we will eliminate it in even, you know, in my lifetime, but we still need to mitigate and make steps and changes towards eliminating the way that white supremacy in our workplaces affects our workplace culture, people's health, people's happiness um, and people being able to feel like they can be themselves and like they belong in their workplaces. Mm -hmm. And lastly, is there anything you would like to add on about your journey or any more advice? Um... Do we swear on here? Is that okay to swear? <laughs> yes, it's okay. Like you're gonna fuck up and it's okay to fuck up. And being afraid 
of that um, is both something that's so deeply ingrained in women. You know, we're taught to be perfect and so deeply ingrained in white supremacy in the workplace. We're taught to be perfect because we are better than others as, you know, myself being a white person. Like, and then there's just like, are you a competitive person? Are you a perfectionist? Perfectionist. Perfection is impossible. It's impossible. You're going to fuck up. You're going to fuck up a lot. And um, you have to become okay with that. And you have to, you can't let it consume you. You can't let it, um, you cannot obsess over it. You can't go type A over it. Like, and in our industry in particular, I see that we have so many people with those personality traits that there's high anxiety, there's high levels of perfectionism, there's high expectation of perfectionism and that every single detail will be perfect. And I myself followed that for years and years and years, and it will give you ulcers and it will give you heartburn. It will ruin your health. And frankly, it will ruin your mental health. And it's not the end of, I used to say like a typo is a really big deal. It makes us look unprofessional, another hallmark of white supremacy in the workplace. But at the end of the day, if a fucking typo is what like stops someone from getting a vaccine when I'm trying to help them understand why that's so important for them, okay, then I'm really not doing my job well. If a fucking extra space or a weird line break in the publication is what completely detracts from helping someone understand the impact of this program and why it is so fucking important to fund it, y'all, like then I'm tanking here. So getting caught up, like, yes, try, but focus on the shit that really matters. Like there are so many things we can and can't control. We can't always control perfection, but we control how we react to it. And we can control what we do choose to put our energy into. Mm -hmm. um, and that is putting our energy into the shit that matters, that matches our values. How many of us even ask ourselves, what are my values? What do I care about? What makes me, me? And then being like brave enough to actually live that. And that, that even that comes from a place of privilege. I am privileged to be able to say that, to be able to do a job where it can match my values. Not everyone has the privileges that allow them to do that. Um, but where we can, being able to ask ourselves and, and give up that bullshit notion that we can be perfect and instead just try to be authentic, live those values, do good fucking work. And at the end of the day, not 
make ourselves sick with worry over what we have or haven't done. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kate. And that concludes our interview. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know more about the amazing things that you do. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Once again, I am Milagros Orkoshen, and this was Kate Snyder on The Business Takeaway. Please don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to be up to date with our videos, and feel free to reach out about anything. <laughs>